0: thanks for choosing New Life today and um, choosing getting out of bed on our first warm day for a while. And um, I got some friends with me. My friend Matt from high school is here today, and that's kind of cool. I haven't seen him in 25 years, and we both look just like we did then. <coughs> um. <laughs> uh, especially um, those of you who come today because you're hurting or if you're listening online, we've got a lot of people listening online right now who are not sure they're ready to brave showing up here, and that's okay. Um, but uh, man, you've you got to come and, and experience what it's like on site here. Um, it's a different kind of place, and uh, we're proud of it. But especially if you're, if you're hurting today, I want to give you a chance to kind of take a deep breath. Um, what happens when we get pain? Just like anything else in our life, our body is conditioned to guard ourselves. know, this happens with my, with my kids all the time. When they get hurt, um, London, if she, she hurts a foot in, in any kind of way, if it gets a scrape on it, she'll start limping. they are like, well, it's not a broken bone. It's not a hurt muscle. It's a, but her whole body wants to protect that little cut on her foot. And, I mean, she'll get to the point where with the dog runs by, she'll, like, do this, you know. And she'll kind of—and the truth is that's, that's really what we do as humans, even emotionally. If you've got a pain today, what will happen is if anybody gets this close to you personally— Now, I'm not talking about physically, I mean emotionally. If today I say something and it kind of tweaks your heart, you know what I mean by that, it kind of Hallmark commercials you, you know, where you get a little welled up, then you will immediately do what my daughter does. If you've got a pain that you're hiding, you'll you'll, you'll cover up and you'll step away from that emotion. And really what happens is it's that emotion that moves us to actually make real change in our lives. And what happens is we have churches meeting all over the country right now, all over the world right now, and what they do is a lot of them are are just engaged in religion. They're they're setting rules, they're creating these these religious activities that don't have anything to do with life change. And what God wants from you from the inside out is a complete life change that will bring you peace, hope, joy, and all the things you've been looking for. And if you came today and you're kind of like injured emotionally in one way or the other, and who's not in this place? If you're injured and you're covering it up, you're not talking about it, you're not telling people about it, you're hoping nobody touches that area because you're afraid it's going to hurt, I want to give you an opportunity this morning before we get started to take a deep breath to step back for a minute from your life. Maybe you're you're the kind of person that is feeling like you kind of get up and you you do the same thing over and over again. You can't remember if it's Monday or Friday because it looks so much like the last day. Maybe you're the kind of person who has dealt with a relationship that's broken so long that it's just become numb and you forgot what it even means to care? I don't know what you've got going on. Some of you are coming back from vacation, um, and you you get that kind of back-to-work blues. Um, Some of you are getting ready for spring break, and you got that I-can't-wait-for-spring break bruise. I don't know what is going on. Um, But whatever you brought in today, I want to give you a chance to take a deep breath, because if you don't kind of get perspective on those issues today, um, you'll miss whatever God wants to say to you in the next half hour. So, would you do, we do this every week, we just take a deep breath and close our eyes, and if you're not sure there's a God, if you're kind of kicking the tires on this whole thing, um, still a good opportunity for you to just kind of test the waters. And if you are a Christ follower, or if you believe in God today, this is the moment, if you're listening online or wherever you are, to take a deep breath and say, would you just do something bigger in my life than the small things that I've been trying to do? Let's take, take a breath together. Got in the quiet of this room, we, we put our lives on pause, just for a moment. Would you, in a real tangible way, in this place, would you give us a different perspective on who we are? Would you give us, we all have those moments in our lives that and we, we can't ever create them, they just kind of show up where we get perspective, and we get a deep breath, and we realize what we're here for, and why you created us, and And what our purpose is would you give us that this moment or something like that so that we can calm our fears we can calm the junk in our life and we can listen intently to something that will change who we are and god you everyone in this place knows everyone listening knows that there's nothing i can say up here that's new i could try to be funny or i could try to be profound but the truth is everything has been said so today, I'm going to ask you to do something supernatural in us, something that Dr. Phil can't do, something that Oprah can't do, something I couldn't say. Would you, would you speak into the depths of our soul, or the deepest part of who we are today, and change us from the inside out? We'll walk away from this place different. In your son's name, amen. So we're in the second week, um, just in case you forgot or you haven't been around, we're in the second week of a series called Love Handles. Um, and if you're listening online, this is one of the good things about being here. You get to see this ugly picture of a guy pinching his, his uh, stomach fat here. Um, it's beautiful. Um, and only at New Life. Um, but uh, we're in this series called Love Handles, and the idea is to get a grip on our relationships. Because here's the thing. You're only as happy, you're only as healthy as your deepest relationship is healthy. Did you know that? So if you've got a marriage that is the most important relationship that you have in your life, and it is a mess, and you know what I mean by a mess? Nobody has to raise their hand or nod at this point, but you know what I mean. If it's an absolute mess, then you know your level of happiness is only going to have a ceiling. If you've got kids in your life, and I know so many parents like this right now who have grown up kids or kind of that almost grown up or should be grown up by now, but aren't quite grown up by now, and they have these kids, and the kids are a mess, and so maybe they've got all the money they ever expected, maybe they finally got to retirement, maybe they got all this stuff, but there is a ceiling to how happy they can be because their relationships with their kids are so broken. And so what I want to do with this series is break down some handles on love and relationships, Now, if you're a guy here today, this is where you tune me out like you tune out a Chick Flick. I get that. But I want want you to stick with me here because love and relationships aren't just about feelings. Love and relationships aren't just about emotions and about good sappy stories and Hallmark commercials. They're actually about the physical way that you do life. And if you're missing out on this for one reason or the other, this could be the hole in your life. You know what I mean by the hole in your life? (laughs) Many of you know exactly what I mean. In fact, men have this problem more than more than women do in our culture. And that is that they, they get up in the morning and they fake it and they They go to work and they smile, or they go to work and maybe they don't smile. But one way or the other, they act like they have it together. They act like they're tough. They act like they're strong. They act like they're ready. But in the deepest part of who they are, there's a hole that they can't seem to fill. They can't buy a big enough truck. They can't get a big enough promotion. They can't get a pretty enough woman. They can't drink enough beer. They can't smoke enough pot. They can't do enough to fill that hole in their life. And I want you to know today that that hole is a very real thing that God created in you. And that might sound harsh, But the truth is God intends to fill that hole. He intends for nothing else to work except for him in that hole. And when it does, it changes your relationships. And there are a lot of people in this place right now who are kind of kicking the tires on God, trying to figure out what he is and how it works. And a lot of people who grew up with God as a compartment in their life. It's a thing we do on Sundays. It's a thing we do after we get drunk on Friday night. We sober up on Saturday, then we go to church on Sunday the thing we did since high school where we feel awful about the way we've been living our lives so we get up in the morning and we go on Sundays and we feel like we've repented in some ways and we start over and we do the same thing again. You need to know that's not in the way God intended for you to do your life and it's causing this hole we're missing. When it comes to relationships we've got it backwards. Society puts all the emphasis on relationships especially romantic relationships at the beginning. I can't remember the last movie I saw that was like um, was a romantic movie, and I have to watch these romantic movies because um, my, my wife watches them, and, and I love her. Um, yes, I may cry a little bit, but it's just because I love her so much. That's right. Really getting into it. But, um, but the, these romantic movies, these, these chick flicks, they, they all start with a problem. They all start with these two people who, who can't seem to do life you know, in some way or the other. He's, he's completely lost without a woman, and she's completely um, paranoid and schizophrenic without a man, and all of a sudden they come to the end and they complete each other. In fact, that was a line from Jerry Maguire, which actually means they're codependent, by the way. They, they complete each other in some way or the other, which is really unhealthy. It sounds romantic, but it's an awful thing if you need somebody else to complete you. The truth is these movies are, uh, are killing us, and they're killing our marriages and our friendships because what happens is we put all of our emphasis on the beginning. We want that, that when Harry met Sally moment. We want that banter. We want that fun, uh, that fun um, engagement period. And then all of a sudden, what you don't see in the movies is what happens after five years of marriage and about 15 pounds and a kid and a half and three fired, three fired jobs. And, th- and two cars that are broken down, and maybe an extramarital affair. You very rarely see those kinds of things, and when you do, those aren't the movies you really want to watch. The truth is, we all put our emphasis up at the front, but what builds healthy relationships is the middle. So, well, if you've got some unhappiness, if you've got some marriage problems today, I, I want to hit something that uh, maybe you've ne- you have never thought about before. And if you've got some brokenness, and you need to know I've been praying for you. Um, I've been going through Facebook a little bit different. I've gone through these phases with Facebook. Can you believe I've been on Facebook for almost 10 years? I can't believe it's been around that long. Um, It popped up the other day and said my 10-year anniversary is coming up with Facebook. I'm not sure that's a good thing, you know. And I start thinking about all the millions of hours I've logged, and here's what I do have done over the last 10 years of Facebook. I've looked at people and I've looked at things and I've been voyeur. Matt, I've probably looked at your page a million times and wondered if you look better than I do at this point in your life. And, and, and you know, I've gone through and not made contact with people but just looked from the outside in. And, and then I've often do this. Hopefully I'm not the only one because I look really bad if I am. But I'll often look down a page and love to look at people's lives who aren't right. Love to look at broken relationships, people who are worse off than me. In fact, if I'm really a mess at the point, if, if I'm really having a hard time with my life at that point, I'll, I'll scroll through real fast on my timeline. If you're not a Facebook user, you can take a time out here, but you'll know exactly what I mean if you are. I'll scroll really fast through the people that have happy things to say, and I'll only look for the people who are miserable because that makes me feel better. You know what I'm saying? And so what I've d- decided to do in my life after seeing this 10-year thing is to start scrolling through and looking for people who are miserable and praying right then and there, looking for people who are going through an illness or looking for people who are dealing with something. And as I've been doing that, I've been realizing 90%, 90% of the brokenness, I started writing this down, this is the boring things that a preacher does, started making a tally mark on Facebook this week. 90% of the people that I scroll through that have something awful to say about their life has to do with relationships, has to do with some brokenness somewhere with somebody they love. So no matter who you are today, I want you to hear something that God has to say about your relationships. And I want to kind of frame it in a story, um, a a completely made-up story, so if it hits you in the heart, then this is just coincidence, because I did not think of anybody when I wrote this this morning. But I want you to think, sometimes it helps us with stories about a a man named Jim and a woman named Sue. They've been married for a long time. They thought everything would start out really well, everything turned out much different than they thought it would. Jim had a problem with pornography early on in their marriage, and it's caused some distrust. And she had an emotional affair at work, and that's caused some distrust. And they started keeping score. You know what I mean by keeping score? Anybody know? You you pretend you don't, but you do. You will in a second. (laughs) Keeping score in their marriage is what they started doing. This started to be how they passed the time. Jim would say, uh, she would say, hey, you know, uh," she would say something very very, uh, passive-aggressive and say something like, man, I'm so tired of these dirty dishes. Meaning to Jim, it's about your turn. I've kept score, and I'm up four to one on dishes. And Jim then begins to think, "Uh uh-oh, well, you know what I'm tired of, Sue? I'm tired of mowing the yard. And it's four to one, me on the yard. And then she begins to go, well, when it comes to bills, though, and pretty soon they create a scorecard in their life, and this is what their relationship is built on. Keeping score. Now, you don't have to raise your hand today, but I just want to start by asking you, are you keeping score? Anybody in your relationships keeping score? Maybe it's husband and wife. This happens worse with, uh, most with husbands and wives. This happens the worst when, when, when people start keeping score in that way. Maybe it's not as much about housework it's not as much about chores as it is about forgiveness. Because at some point in your relationship, at some point in your marriage, at some point in your friendship, you're going to have to give Forgiveness. And what happens is often that, kind of hap- that, that forgiveness is given and then it's like a tally mark somewhere. Well, I forgive you, but I'm going to call that back later. <laughs> when I need it, I'm going to have it in my pocket to use it later. I don't know about you, but Jim and Sue have a problem with scorekeeping. And some of you today sit in the pews in a very unhealthy marriage. Some of you are listening online today. to to try to figure out, because you've heard that this sermon is called Love Handles, what you're trying to do is take notes so that you can help your husband learn to be better at relationships. Or so that you can help your wife learn about what all her problems are with relationships. And the truth is, it starts with you. And maybe today, maybe today you'll walk away from here with a little different understanding of the scorekeeping problem because here's the problem with scorekeeping. It creates some things in you. It creates resentment. You know what resentment is? It's that feeling when somebody does something good or something happens to them good, you go, ugh. And This happens with Facebook, too. You see somebody from high school who looks a lot better, who got a lot of money and got a lot of stuff, or got, a, got just the right situation or won the lottery, and you go, ugh. This happens with celebrities all the time. You, you see a celebrity, and, and you hate them, and you just don't know why. George Clooney can't be good-looking and smart and rich and a good actor. I just hate it you know you just got to resentment starts to happen in your relationships in your marriage in your friendships if you're not careful that resentment where something good happens and you just can't say good job you got to say something the entitlement happens you begin to think well if he's going to live that way then here's the way i'm going to live if he's going to lay on the couch i'm going to lay on the couch i'm going to get mine man it's damaging Another consequence of keeping score is distance. You know what I mean by distance. If you've been married or you've had a friend um, that's close at some point, you know exactly what I mean by distance. You you you're cordial. There's logistics things you got to do. If you're married, you have some logistics things you got to get the kids and you got to talk about the 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 you need to buy milk and you get this. But there is this emotional distance. Maybe maybe with your kids. They come for Thanksgiving. They come for Christmas. They're there for holidays or they're there at Sunday afternoons, but the truth is there's there's distance. And part of that comes often from scorekeeping. And then the fourth thing is fear, and I'll talk about that in a minute. At one point, 2,000 years ago, Jesus noticed this in people. Jesus noticed that there was scorekeeping, that there was resentment, that there was all of this stuff that was built up in people, and it was, it was hard for him to have patience with at times. But because he loved people so much, he, had, he, he worked hard at having a lot of patience with this. And at one point, um, Peter, one of his disciples, had cam, come to him, and it had been clear that where Jesus stood when it, come, when it came to forgiveness and when it came to scorekeeping. It was very clear that Jesus would have, by this point, had taught Peter and all of the disciples that there is a different way to live life. And by the way, if you're here, and, and as soon as I say Jesus, or if you're listening online, as soon as I say Jesus, you start to turn me off because you don't believe what I believe about Jesus. I want you to know, did you know the people that actually followed Jesus, the, the, at first they didn't, they didn't believe him? They didn't believe that he was God. It was that after they followed him, after a little bit, they began to believe that he was God. Did you know that you can follow Jesus because of his teachings and because of the way that he lived his life and start to live that way and not believe completely that he's God? And that's what I encourage you to do if you're just, just kind of kicking the tires today on that, that this is a different way of living life. It's the way that brings peace and hope. And that's why Jesus' following got so big. People started doing what he said. It sounded so different, and it sounded so big. He started to say things like "The people, they would come and say, Jesus, we're, we're the low end of the totem pole in the society, and, and when the Roman soldiers come and ask us to carry their bags legally at that point, they could, they could, if the Roman soldiers were tired, they could ask um, th- this group of people that were following Jesus in, in the, the kind of the, the lower class of society, they could say, carry my bag. And you would have to drop whatever you were doing, whatever your responsibilities were. You'd have to drop whatever it was and carry their bag. Now, the law said you had to carry their bag, but you only had to carry it a mile. And after a mile, and you would count steps. And when you got to a mile, you would drop the bag and you'd go back a mile to whatever you were doing. And that was the law. And they came to Jesus and they said, this isn't fair. We're keeping score. And this isn't fair. Jesus, how much should we put up with? Jesus said, I'll tell you why. Somebody asks you to carry their bag a mile, you carry it too. What? What about that Roman soldier that slapped Peter in the face last week? Peter got his sword out and started to cut. Jesus said, no, 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 no. that's not who we are. That's not what we do. Somebody slaps you in the face, you give them the other cheek. Let them slap that one too. What, Jesus? Doesn't that sound passive? Is that really the way you want to live your life? Jesus said, just try it. Don't knock it until you try it. Just try it people started trying to live the way Jesus talked about. They started when a Roman soldier would ask them to pick up their bag and carry it a mile, they would carry it two, and the Roman soldier would look back and wonder why the bag hadn't been dropped, and it gave them an opportunity to say, I've decided to live my life differently. And after some time trying out the way Jesus did his life and the things that he said, people started following Jesus on a regular basis. If 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 these little things make sense, maybe the bigger things are true too. And so Peter was one of those people who had bought into who Jesus was, and he learned that when somebody says something, Jesus is going to take it even bigger. He's going to take it even more. And so Peter came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, how many times? Now, Lord at that time could have meant Lord and Savior. It could have meant teacher. He said, how many times may my brother sin against me before I, uh, and I, I forgive him? Up to seven times? If, if my brother or my sister or my relationship, that word brother means somebody I'm close to, when somebody that I'm close to does something against me, how many times should I forgive them? Now, the background on this is pretty interesting. Um, truthfully, since the book of Amos, which is a minor prophet in the Old Testament, ch- chapter 3 if you're interested, um, God lists this, this list of cities that have sinned against him, that have just messed up over and over and over again, and he says three times, You have messed up, and I've given you more opportunity. Three times. And he gives all these cities, and each one of them he gave three times. And because God had that in that situation three times, these cities had done something against him, and he finally had enough, The, the teachers of this day that Jesus was living in started teaching people, all of their disciples and all the people who were following God, they started teaching three times. If somebody does something against you three times, you have to forgive them. But after that, after the third time, you don't have to forgive them anymore. In fact, there were all kinds of rules then, all the things you could do to somebody if they messed you over three times. Now, they kept score. And not only did they keep score, they had a a religious reason to keep score. So when it's something didn't hit right with Peter about it, but he had obviously been hurt, he'd obviously been broken by one of his brothers, by somebody that was close to him, and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, and, and there's a little bit of inference here, Of I know what the, what the rabbis say, they say three times, but Jesus, I know that you like to push things to the limit, I know that you let, say turn the other cheek, I know you say go two miles instead of one mile, so what I'm saying is, seven times, is that enough? I know we'll double it and add a little. Jesus, seven times, is that enough? here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, one of the other disciples who was really, um, really crazy about numbers was probably doing the math. 490 times, boy, that's going to be hard to keep score. Jesus goes, you've missed it. You missed the point. What I mean to say is, there is no number. Stop keeping score. Stop. I'm, I'm hoping that speaks to you. Whoever just came to your head. Whatever son, whatever daughter, whatever friend, whatever husband, whatever pastor, whatever preacher said something stupid to you, I'm sorry. Whatever mom, whatever dad. Stop keeping school. You know how hard it is? You know how hard it is to stop keeping score once you've built a habit? There's some comfort in it. There's some, there's some passion. There's some excitement in keeping score. And when you let it go, it's hard. But it will change your life. Jesus goes on in this story to say, he, he made up stories all the time um, to kind of get his point across. It's kind of why I did with Jim and Sue with you today. He said, a, a guy owed a whole bunch of money to a man who, who was really rich. And, and he went the rich man went to this guy who owed him all this money and he said, hey, hey, I need the money back that, that you owe me. And the man said, I'm so sorry, I can't, I can't pay you. And the guy said, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your wife and your kids. I'm going to take your wife and your kids as payment. And the guy fell on his knees. He said, please, don't take my wife and my kids over the money I owe you. Please don't take them. And the rich man looked down at him and he had, he had mercy on him. And he said, okay, you keep your wife and your kids and your debt is free. Everybody around Jesus would have gone, good story, Jesus. That was a good story. And then Jesus goes, I'm not done. Then that man who had been forgiven this big debt and had got his wife and his son and his kids back went to a person who owed him a little bit of money and said, I need that money you owe me right now or I'm going to take your wife and kids. The people around Jesus said, what an evil, evil Man who had just been forgiven all of this debt and right afterwards goes and wants his little tiny debt from someone else. And Jesus says, that's you when you keep score. God has forgiven all the junk you've done. God has overlooked, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He has overlooked, He has given you everything. And you're keeping score? jesus says to god it's like you've been given this freedom and this debt released and you're that man going and picking the smallest debts and wanting it if you're keeping score today you need to know some things first that it's about fear if you're a man you're going to be mad at me you're going to want to meet me in the parking lot at this i'm not scared of nothing and i know i know (laughs) and i'm a little scared of that parking lot thing i'm just telling you I know, there is this thing in us where we feel like we don't fear anything. And I think this is one of the biggest lies the enemy tells us. That somehow fear makes us, that, 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 uh, that this fear is, is not, it makes us weak, or that, that this, this thing doesn't happen to strong people. But the truth is, fear is what causes you to keep score. And the Bible says something really crazy about fear. And, and I, I was going to preach a whole different sermon, and I, and I want to hit this first, and next week I'm going to preach that one. Because I, wanna, I, I think that this fear has, has crippled our marriages and our friendships. And I don't know what you're afraid of, but here's the truth about fear. If Jim and Sue had known the kinds of fear that they actually had in their hearts at the beginning of their marriage, they'd have never got married. The truth is Jim had a fear early on because his mom had left his dad that at some point his wife would leave him. It was a fear he'd had his entire life, and it was deep-seated. And so that meant every relationship, every time she even spoke to another man, he had this deep-seated fear that it was going to be over real soon. And it caused him to change everything about the way he lived his life. It caused him to keep score, to keep her close. And then she had a terrible fear. Her fear was this isolation. Her dad had treated her so badly when she grew up. He was one of those dads that said, yeah, you'll know I love you. You've got a roof over your head? Never once said it. Never once acted like it. And her fear was that's the way she would live the rest of her life. Her fear was that when she got married, she would marry a man who didn't love her really, but just kind of acted like it at times and just got what he could get for it. And now she keeps score because she wants to know how he measures up to how awful her dad was. And there is a fear deep in her That if she doesn't get out, and if he doesn't get out, it doesn't matter how much marriage counseling they go through. It doesn't matter how many sermons they listen to about love handles. There will always be resentment. There will always be scorekeeping. It is not the scorekeeping that's the problem. It's the fear. And if we can cut out the fear, you don't need to keep score anymore. My way in this morning, Risha and I were in the car together one of the few times that we have without our kids. (laughs) And so we have this half-hour drive from Bloomington, and on the way here, I said, hey, honey, do you mind if I mention you in the sermon today? She goes, oh. Because what happens is, Allison or one of her friends in the audience here will tell her afterwards, you won't believe what John said about you today. So, (laughs) y'all shut it, okay? You know, She might not listen online. No. But I asked her today, I asked her permission that, that I could tell her this. The truth is, we both, when we got married, there was fear in both of us. I was on my second marriage and had a fear that during my first marriage, I went home one day and I came home to a house and on the front lawn were all of her bags. And that was the last time I saw her. And I had this fear from the moment I met Risha that one day I would come home to a yard full of bags again. And I got to say that and everything, if we got in an argument, it could could always go back to John's fear of this thing. And if we could go back to it and say, "John, it's not, you don't need to fear that," then she would go, "What can I do so that you don't fear that anymore?" And she had a fear, too, that I'm not going to tell you about. But her fear was similar, and in her fear, I got to say, "What can I do to keep you from fearing that?" And I'll tell you what it was. I got to say to her, it took me about two weeks to figure out how I could do this, but I said to her, "I, I know how I can start to heal your fear at any time. 100% of my cell phones, my computer, my telephone, everything I have is open for you to look at at any time. You don't have to worry about me in pornography. You don't have to worry about me talking to some woman I shouldn't be because you have at any moment the opportunity to look at my phone. I have no privacy anymore. Your, my stuff is your stuff. Now you might go, well, now John, you should have your... I don't know. I don't care because she doesn't need that fear in her life. That was almost 13 years ago. I've got to be careful. We're married 13 years in May. That was almost 13 years ago, and when I mentioned it today in the car, there was this long pause. She said, are you scared anymore? I said, no, I'm not. She said, I'm not either. All of a sudden, I don't know how long it's been since we've had that fear. It just goes away, and I'm not saying we've got a perfect marriage. We don't, but you know what we don't do? We don't sit at parties when one of us is telling the story and the other one goes, right. I don't resent my wife. I don't. When something good happens to me, when I come home and I say, Richie, you won't believe what happened today. This thing at work and it was so awesome, she doesn't go, yeah, but I bet they don't know you're this. We do that. My first marriage, I did it. That was everything happened. And it was all about fear. I'm going to ask you today, Where is the fear in your life? 1 John 4 says this, I love this. Well-formed love banishes fear. If you have fear in your marriage or in your relationship or in your situation with your your siblings or your your friendships, if fear is involved, it isn't love at its pure form. In fact, the Bible says that love and fear are opposites. The opposite of love is fear fear and half the time when we make decisions in our relationships we are driven by what we think may be love but is truthfully a deep-seated fear in our life john says well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling a fear of life, fearful life fear of death fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love fear is crippling now I, I drive around Perry and today I'll do that I wait and get my gas up here when I can and I need gas so I'll go to the gas station and I know I'm starting to know a lot of people around now I see many of you in different places and so I don't often see it at church but I see it outside of church I see the crippling of relationships You know that word crippled we don't use anymore to talk about people physically But it usually, it used to mean that there was something physical that you could see in somebody. They limped or they they acted differently or walked differently. I'm getting to the point in my life where I know relationships and I love you so much when I see you in public with your friends or with your family or with your kids. It's almost like you're limping relationally. I see it. I see dads yelling at their sons. Not because they want their sons to grow up with the right attitude but because they want their sons to know who's in charge. You know what that is? That's a fear that you're not in charge. And it will cripple your relationship. I see wives publicly humiliating their husbands with a joke or a story or an offhand comment. It's a fear that their husbands are going to get a higher score than they get. It's a fear for just a moment that their husbands are going to end up winning the scorecard battle. And it's killing our relationships. I found this. Just in case you're sitting here today going, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any of these problems in my life. If you're doing that, you're a different kind of human. But just in case, I want want to read you a little bit about the difference between love and fear. Love is strong. Fear is weak. Love is honest. Fear is deceitful. If you've got a lot of lying going on in your house, and I'm not talking about just a husband and wife, I'm talking about with your kids, if there's a lot of lying, there's fear in the house somewhere. Your kids don't think they're good enough, they're going to lie to you. Their kids don't think they can be honest about the struggles they're going with, they're going to lie to you. There's fear. Love trusts. Fear suspects. Love allows and fear dictates. Parents, Love allows and fear dictates. Mom of a 13-year-old, love allows, fear dictates. If, if you find yourself a dictator in your house, there might be some fear somewhere that you're not aware of. Love forgives and fear... Dang it. I don't know what that is. Love forgives fear blames. Love is kind and fear is angry. We were woken up on a Saturday morning with a, no reason to be mad, but just a "bah." I don't know why I'm mad, but better nobody get in my way. You know what I would say about that? It's my own experience, my own life. There's fear somewhere in my house. Fear somewhere in my life is causing me anger instead of love. Love heals. Fear hurts. Love energizes and fear saps. You know what I love on Saturdays at my house? We call them Dadder Day now, which is a lot of pressure for a dad, you know? That I love that when my kids go to bed, they are exhausted and somehow have the energy of a million humans. Saturdays in my house now are so full of love, I'm working on Thursdays. Mondays, never saturdays in my house we've picked one day this day is going to be so full of love and at the end of the day my kids have so much energy i have to like tie them down to the bed to get them to go to bed love real true love energizes love is an elixir fear is a poison love is patient fear is nervous love is relaxed fear is pressured love is blind fear is judgmental love accepts fear rejects love frees Fear imprisons. Love is brave. Fear is afraid. I'm going to ask you a couple things. Band, you can come up. I'm going to ask you right here, right now today. You can completely ignore everything I've said today. Some of you have. You can ignore this. Or you can, you can do what we do in church. Um, a lot of church people do this, where they just go, mm-hmm, yeah, mm, and they walk out and nothing changes. Or you can... Find the fear in your house. You can find the fear in your relationships right now. I'd like to ask you, what are you scared of? And I'd like to say this. I I believe this with all my heart. I wrote this, and I prayed about it, and I wrote this, and I prayed about it, and I wrote this, and I prayed about it, because there are lots of preachers who don't believe this. I believe this with all my heart today, that living in a broken marriage is no more God's will for you than divorce. I'll say that again, because I prayed over it. Living in a broken marriage is no more God's will for you than divorce is God's will for you. So if you're here today, and your marriage is in shambles, and you have bought into the religious lie that it's okay to live in a broken marriage as long as you don't divorce, you need to know you're breaking God's heart like you would if you had divorced. Are you, willing, are you still keeping score? I would love it if this happened. This is the, a preacher's imagination. I, have, I, I thought of this this week, that a, a couple of you who have had broken relationships and marriages and problems, that you would go home and that you would write down the score, and then you would go to your wife or you go to your husband, and you would physically rip it up. There is no more scoreboard in our house. Would you root out the fear in your home this week? Would you look for it when you feel the opposite of love in your home this week? When you feel the opposite in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your son and daughter things, and mom and dad things? When you feel like that's not love, I don't know what that was, but that wasn't love. Would you start to root out where the fear is? You know what? One of the things that I love to do is read, and I read this book this week, and you're going to hear about it more next week but this guy's sitting out at a campfire and he's, he's looking at the logs in this campfire and he's broken, broken man he's, he's alienated his family and they're just separate all over the country he's looking at this fire and these logs are all stacked up and it's beautiful and it's going to burn all night and his friend comes and sit next, next, sits next to him and he says you know that interesting thing about those logs and that fire is that the way they're situated and the way they're burning right now they'll burn all night that'll last all night hot warmth. But he said, if you were to take those same logs and take them out there in the field and put them individually 20, 30 feet from each other, they'd burn out in an hour. The same is true of you. Some of you are burned out. Fear has caused you to burn out. You caused you so much distance that you burn out. You know what God intends? For you to live like a campfire. For you to live so close that you get energy from each other. It's your opportunity today. I'm going to give you a chance to do it. Some dads today, those of you who are Christian dads and who, have, who are wondering what it means to be a dad and a, and, a, and a husband and be a Christian man, I believe this is what it means. Well, my grandpa preached something different, but this is what I believe it means. I believe that there needs, there's a sacrifice that needs to be made in your house, and you're first. If there's a, there a scorekeeping, you're the one that rips it up. If, you're, if there is a, is it her or me? It's you. It's your responsibility. You know, I'm not a motorcycle rider. John Grenier knows that, wherever he is. He tried to get me to ride motorcycles for a couple years, and he just finally gave up. I'm just not that guy. I'd like to be. But one of the things I learned about a motorcycle is, and I was, I was with John when he told me this. We were on this back road out here, and, um, and he, or out there, yeah, that way. He, he told me we were perfectly safe, and then a couple, a couple years later, he ended up in the hospital, I remember, on the same road as I remember, and we were, we were very safe, I felt very safe with him, but we were on the motorcycle, and we were going really slow, and I was, I was okay as long as we were going slow, and John said something to me, you maybe not even remember this, he said, going slow is dangerous, truthfully, what you need is speed, you need speed, and that's what brings balance to the motorcycle. Now, I'm not going to finish that story because he did end up in the hospital a few years later. <laughs> about this time of year. He's going slow. But the truth is, there is something about a motorcycle that is true about your relationships. At some point, some of you are in your marriages, you're in your families, you're in your relationships right now, and you don't have anywhere to go. You're going slow and you're shaky. What you need is to point at the horizon and hit the throttle. You need to go somewhere. Some of you own businesses and you're writing business plans and you're creating ideas and you don't have a plan for your marriage. So I sat with Risha recently and we said, what do we want? What will we plan? What what horizon are we going to shoot for and then hit the gas? And we decided we want to be a home where our kids can be whole. Where whatever the world takes away from them, they can get back in our house. We want to be a place where anybody who comes into our house feels immediately like they can be whole, like they can be real, like they can be Good. And it changed immediately. Some of the conversations we were having about the big houses we wanted to build someday. Does that make you feel that way? No. I'm going to ask you today. Would you get rid of the fear in your life, in your family, in your home, and would you point at the horizon, find something to shoot for? That's the family we want to be. That's the marriage I want. That's the friendship I want. That's the kids that I want. That's the way I want my children to feel in this home. And then hit the throttle and go. You won't believe what will happen when you get up to speed. You won't be so shaky. I'm going to give you a chance today to root out the, the fear in your life. I'm going to be right back there in that corner if there's anything I can do to pray with you today. But this is between you and God. Would you if, you, if you're having a hard time today and you know that love is not in your life, you know that there's fear and you're not sure what it is, use this moment right now to say, God, point out that fear in my life. Let's root it out and let's do life the way God intended. Would you stand with us?